What was the greatest era of baseball fandom, of baseball memories? Well, I might be a little biased because I grew up in the 80s. I think the 80s were really special. But I think someone who would agree with me is Andrew Chadwick, who is an 80s baseball expert. And he's my new guest on this episode of Locked On MLB. You are Locked On MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast. We talk about all of Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. Today's episode, we are bringing in the creator of 80s baseball, Andrew Chadwick. We're going to be talking about my favorite era and the neglected era, and kind of talking a little bit about why it sometimes slips through the cracks and why it was so glorious. This show is available on all your podcasting platforms. Thanks so much for making us your first listen. If you're going to have a second listen, why not have it be Locked on Bets with your boy Q and expert analysis from Lee Sterling. Hey, follow us on Twitter at Locked on MLB Pod. Same handle on Instagram. I'm your pal Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Well, as I mentioned, one of those sites on Twitter, I don't know if you ever go on the Twitterverse, but sometimes you can go down a rabbit hole and realize, wow, I've spent the last three or four days on this feed and checking it out. Well, Andrew Chadwick, my guest today, has created one such great place. It's called 80s Baseball. 80s, it's uh, at Twitter, at baseball underscore 80s. You're someone I've been following for a long time. (laughs) I think probably since you started. And uh, I love checking in on you. Thanks so much for joining the show. I've wanted to have you on for a little bit now. Well, thanks for having me. I'm 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 happy to be here. Um, I I this little, you know, uh, Twitter site that I started um, was just for fun because I couldn't find stuff I was looking for in baseball eighties. So I kind of decided to make my own, and I found some great people, a great sources of information out there that I I pretty much try and uh, be a clearinghouse for. So so it's just a great if you are someone like me where the eighties. I mean, again, I'm a child of the eighties, so I follow baseball in the eighties. And I, I just love that era. It's a weird era because it wasn't as flashy and flamboyant visually as the 70s were. It wasn't as buttoned down and traditional as baseball looked in the 90s. I, I think it's a little bit of the porridge that Goldilocks ate. I think it was right in the middle on so many aspects of baseball. And quite frankly, uh, when we look back at a lot of the things that we want in baseball and what people are nostalgic for in baseball, a lot of those boxes were ticked in the 80s. So I just want to talk a little bit about that. You grew up a Cubs fan, correct? I did. WGN here in Colorado. That's, uh, you know, we we had the Mets, the Cubs, or the Braves, right? I guess I chose the Cubs. (laughs) Yeah, and that was a time when cable was starting to, it's the tentacles of cable were starting to reach out. And there were so many Braves fans because of TBS, but there were so many Cubs fans because of WGN. And all of those regions, we hadn't had all the expansion that we have now. There was no team in Colorado. There were no teams in Florida. There was no team in um, uh, Phoenix. And there was no team in Washington. We still had the Expos. So there were 
a lot of huge markets that were just sitting there. And the Superstations made a lot of fans. And, of course, it was timed perfectly with WGN and the rise of that marvelous season, that magical season of 1984, which I think made Cub fans across the country uh, with what happened in 84. Yeah, and, and then started our, our experience of getting the broken heart, right, from that. So having the early series lead, but absolutely Well, right. you know, it, it's so funny because, like, and I have talked about this, that the we define a year based upon how it ends. Right. As a, someone who grew up in New England, a diehard Red Sox fan, I can tell you the ending of 86 was a, a, a twist ending that, Rod Serling or M. Night Shyamalan would say, okay, I wasn't expecting that. That was, uh, that, I didn't see that coming. But that year of 86 was remarkably fun mm-hmm. and, and, and intense. And if you're a Cub fan who hadn't seen the postseason since uh, 1945, where they were still worshiping the 1969 team that, that wet the bed, didn't even make the playoffs, to have a team that had so many you know, great Cub figures on it, still all day baseball, Harry mm. Carey, Ryan Sandberg, Jody Davis, the the crazy season from Rick Sutcliffe, where he comes in in, I think, June. He was in the American League up until June, and he wins the National League Cy Young Award. Right. I mean, boy, imagine putting money on that. Yeah. Uh, how many people in regions like the ones that you lived in uh, who didn't have their own major league team uh, adopted this team and and fell in love with them? Right. Well, and, and you bring up a great point, the way we look at things, too. And I think that's one of the reasons why I love looking at the 80s baseball, you know, the nostalgic part of it. Back when I um, didn't feel like I had to have a rivalry with with the uh, Cardinals or something like that, you right. know, because I liked all of it. I would watch I would consume any baseball I could. And, you know, so it, it's for me to go back on it. I could judge a season just by the every day. I could just be a part of it and go up and down with them. But uh, so. I think that's one of the reasons why I like it so much is because it comes from a more pure place for me somehow. It's funny. If you go back and and you think about baseball in the eighties and how people talked about like any time the people in the present talk about how it stinks. Now, back then it was better. Yeah. That there was the people, there's always going to be the people from the previous generation crapping all over your what you're having, what you have stinks. It's not the same as it was. Therefore it's worse. Um, I, I do not feel ripped off that I grew up in the eighties watching baseball. Uh, if people don't like expansion, there was no expansion in the 1980s. If people wanted to have real pennant races, there were amazing pennant races go throughout the 1980s. Some of the best teams in baseball were struggling till the final day of the season, and some of them were on the outside looking in. Uh, if you want to have classic postseason moments, some of the most iconic moments in the history of baseball took place in the 80s. You like pitchers going the distance? There were a lot of workhorses back then. You wanted to have home run totals be good but not over the top? Nobody hit 50 home runs during that time. I mean, there is so, and you don't like the same teams winning every year. Not one repeat champion in the entire decade. You know, in fact, the only team that won multiple World Series in the entire decade 
were the Dodgers, thanks to Don Denkinger. The Cardinals couldn't be added to that. <laughs> but, you know, it, it was so many great figures, so many great moments, so many great uh, superstars, mm-hmm. and a lot of them who stayed with their own team for the whole time. It was a magical time that was that seems to have fallen through the cracks in terms of the nostalgia machine. Right. Well, and I believe that the, the game was a little bit more strategic then as well. Hit and run, bunt, stolen base aspects of it that we, you know, for better or worse, that we don't really see today. It's a little different that way. But I, I think that it was a little bit more exciting for me, at least watching now when I go back to YouTube and that kind of thing too. Yeah, I, it's really startling when you watch them. But first of all, you still had a lot of AstroTurf stadiums in there. True. This was before the Renaissance with Camden Yards. So you still had a bunch of the cookie-cutter parks. I don't mind cookie-cutter parks because I grew up with them. You mm-hmm. know, those are my memories of the Reds and the Pirates and the Phillies were yeah. in the, and the Cardinals were in those parks. But there also was, when you like one of the best teams of the 80s were the St. Louis Cardinals. And they played on AstroTurf. And they seem to build their team around that. Yeah, absolutely. They said they perfectly built their team where they said, we're going to have a bunch of jackrabbits on our club. Yeah. And if you get a walk, it turns into a double. And the excitement of a pitcher on the mound, and you have uh, Willie McGee, Vince Coleman, uh, Ozzie Smith, Lonnie Smith, all these players who were on that team. Like, are they going to go? Are they going to go? And of course, this was the era of. Ricky Henderson mm-hmm. and Tim Raines and all these players who were just great base stealers. And there was, look at, I understand the sabermetrics uh, argument against stealing bases, but I also think it's fun and exciting. And when Ricky Henderson walked and was on first base, everyone, he was automatically in the head of the pitcher. And it made for whoever was batting behind him was going to see a big fat pitch. Mm-hmm. And it was, I think it, it was a more daring game. There was a lot more speed and a lot more first to third. And it wasn't just waiting for the big home run. Cause you didn't have the 30, the, the 50 home run slugger on any single team. Right. We, we did have the sluggers, but maybe one per team, right? Maybe somebody that hit two twenty three and hit, you know, 35 yeah. homers, that kind of guy, you know, that was kind of interesting too. Even the Cardinals had like Jack Clark and that kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> that one, one guy that would be the one that would try and hit it out of the park. Once well, yeah, you had to have that one, that one masher for a while. The Astros had Glenn Davis. Right. You had to have that one guy in the middle of the lineup who, if there was two runners on he either, it's a three run home run, or if he gets a hit, it turns into a two run single. You know, that, that's how, I mean, the Cardinals went, to three World Series with that, with that strategy, and mm-hmm. I just it was it was a lot of fun. It was just it was a it was a fun era for baseball. Of course, I, I, I'm extraordinarily biased. And I'm the first to admit it that it was the era that I grew up in. Right. But uh, all those things I just said are things that gave the gave it a boost. And uh, in our next segment, we'll talk about some of the things that maybe downplayed in some people's memories but i just want to say this segment is brought to you by built bar it's the new year which means a new year's resolution if yours is about getting fit or eating healthy make sure you include built bar in your plan built bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar maybe even better than a candy bar built bar makes it easy to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good you'll want to eat it unlike other protein bars that are chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill now 
Most built bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 grams of net carbs, 17 grams of protein. Compare that with a candy bar, which usually has around 240 calories, lots of sugar, dozens of net carbs. You know what? These are so good. And if you want flavors to choose from, check out coconut almond, peanut butter brownie, cookies and cream, salted caramel, mint brownie. My personal favorite, which one is raspberry. So many more. Built is coming up with new limited time flavors. So check out built.com often to see what's new. Go to built.com, use promo code LOCK15, you get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off built.com. By the way, someone who likes Built Bars is Dale Murphy, friend of the podcast. Dale Murphy was a guest on the show. When he was a guest on Lockdown Braves, he said he likes Built Bars. If it's good enough for a two-time MVP of the 1980s, Built Bars are good enough for you. Hey, we're here with Andrew Chadwick from Baseball 80s. Um, I want to just say that I think one thing that may have lessened the uh, the love that 80s baseball gets, uh, one is that it's one where labor issues really raised its head uh, in the 81 season where a, a gigantic chunk of the season, the strike hit and it sort of made people face the realities of labor. And it also was, I think that hurt. Um, I think the fact that there wasn't a dominant team, I know this sounds weird because everyone wants parody but you didn't have a dynasty. Even the teams that looked like were about to become a dynasty, like the Mets or the Tigers or maybe even the Cardinals, they never went on that run where they we had that villain that was always in it. And so there was a kind of a little hiccup element to um, the uh, uh, who the champions were. But there was also, there always were things that hovered over the game in a nasty way, whether it was the labor stuff or the Pittsburgh cocaine trials, or the Pete Rose uh, 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 gambling and the death of Bacciamati. And if, it's funny, if you go back and you watch the Kirk Gibson home run game, they talk about steroids and Jose Canseco back in 1988. And then you had collusion going on. I mean, there were always something else that when you and I, young, you know, young men watching it, we brush that apart and all we can see is you know, uh, Dwight Gooden striking out batters or Ryan Sandberg making a great play. But in the day-to-day, there was an ugly, nasty reminder of the outside world in baseball that kind of, not you know, no mention to myself intended, uh, sullied uh, the way people were experiencing baseball at the time. You're right. You know, it seems like, first of all, how is Dale Murphy not in the Hall of Fame? By the way, that, that's cool. Anyway, maybe in the seventies we didn't know all these things, and the and the game was progressing as it does, and so some of these things became more of an issue as it as it became a bigger business, right? As, as mm-hmm. things moved along. Uh, but you're right; there was a number of issues that happened in the in the eighties, from labor issues to scandals and and the rest. Um, so maybe it doesn't get the praise it deserves. I'm not sure if if they're if that's an issue or not, but um, I think also, I think also, if you don't mind me stepping in there for a second, sure. the I think the salaries becoming public mm-hmm. and the free agency, which um, began unofficially with the catfish hunter fiasco uh, after the 74 World Series, but really began in earnest 
with the McNally and Messersmith case in 75 and free agency beginning in 76. And all of the strikes and lockouts having to do with issues around free agency. Uh, We saw them becoming millionaires. Again, I never cared. But I think they put a, for some fans, I think it put a little barrier between your ability to relate to a player who needs an offseason job to make ends meet uh, and players negotiating for, you know, the how how the contracts became public about them becoming multimillionaires. I think, again, I, I, I do not care about that. I never cared about that, but I think some people do. And yeah. I think that maybe that that created a barrier between yeah. the fans and the players that hadn't existed before. Yeah. And that, and that could be warranted. And I think maybe just the whole, it opened your eyes. I mean, when Andre Dawson became a free agent and nobody wanted him in the prime of his career, um, he had to, you know, give the Cubs a bargain basement deal. I mean, anything, things like that, you know? Yeah. I'm sure it, it, it opened a lot of people's eyes that even between player salaries and even how management operated, maybe it wasn't for you. And, 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 I think those things just escalated as, as you know, we we missed the World Series, you know, uh, as time yeah. went on. So, I think a lot of I mean, it's amazing when um, Jim Bouton's book Ball Four came out, and I think it was seventy one or seventy two, and you read it now and it seems tame, but when it was <laughs> it was released in the early seventies, it created a firestorm because it's like, how dare you insinuate that baseball players are taking drugs and. Mm-hmm. And and are obsessed with sex and everything like that because these are good wholesome men who want to just throw the the turnip to the side of the the barn. Um, I think that you saw uh, that sort of mythology, which was always BS, but that mythology being broken and that illusion being broken. Right. I think of uh, again, I, I, I for a previous generation and also for the nostalgic machine. Uh, it's, it's something that may have hurt, hurt it, but I'm telling you when you, th- when just casually list some of the greatest post seasons of all time, the 1980 NLCS between the Phillies and the Astros is arguably the greatest postseason series ever played where like those two teams with four straight extra inning games, the Astros one swing away from winning the pennant and you know, that happening, um, the rise of Fernando Mania, the Rick Monday home run, the the insane ALCS between California and Milwaukee, leading to a seven-game series between Milwaukee and St. Lou. Um, you had the Dankinger game. You had the Cubs-Padres series. You had a really underrated Blue Jays-Royals series. Mm-hmm. Um, you had the Jack Clark homer. You had the Mets and the Astros playing that incredible series. Mm-hmm. You had the Dave Henderson home run. Obviously, the '86 World Series. You had, a, you know, another seven-game series between St. Louis and, and Minnesota. You have the Kirk Gibson game and the astonishingly exciting and underrated uh, series between the Mets and Los Angeles. And then the ending, con- the this season or the the decade ended with a thud, <laughs> with uh, the the banishment of Rose, the death of Giamatti, and I'm in the Bay Area. Everyone in the Bay Area is so excited. The A's and Giants are finally playing the World Series, and we get hit by an earthquake. It happens, right? <laughs> you know, and and so, I mean, you it ended with a with a rumble. It didn't end with a thud. It ended with a rumble, and 
I, I think all that hurts when people look back on how great a decade it was, but it really was an amazing decade with great players, great performances. Right. There was, I think it's a link too between some of the athletes we see today and, and, and how incredible they are. Mm-hmm. I believe I look back on that, like Eric Davis and Bo Jackson and people like yeah. that that broke in. And there was some incredible athletes that were playing the game. And, and it really kind of changed the game, I think, in, in that specific era. I also think some of the players who were the best players of the 80s had their greatest highlights in other decades. Like, <laughs> you know, Ripken was one of the big figures of the 80s, but our memory of him was breaking the record. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, like you know, Ricky Henderson was arguably the greatest offensive player of that decade. But our memories of him are breaking Lou Brock's record. And, and, we play and, forever, and, right? <laughs> and yeah, I think he's probably still playing somewhere. <laughs> you know, you know, Gwyn, we remember probably him more in the 90s. I mean, there's some of the uh, Molitor won his World Series ring in the 90s. There's all these mm-hmm. players who were the key players of that decade. Oh, uh, who Kirby, had their, You know, Kirby Puckett and the Twins would win again, you know, in the yeah. 90s and yeah, yes. and Jack Jack Morris, who was the had the most wins of any pitcher in the eighties. I know we're not supposed to look at that anymore, but his greatest highlight was in the ninety one World Series, right. going ten innings in Game Seven. So, uh, you know, even Winfield, who was arguably the best, you know, certainly the most talented player of the nineteen eighties, right. gets his World Series ring great highlight with Toronto. I mean, right. it's you know, Nolan Ryan breaks the strikeout record, and everything, <laughs> and in the nineties is so strange. Right. Yeah. How many of, like, what player, the one player who had his one, you know, great moment of, you know, career-defining moment was Pete Rose, who got banished by the end of the decade. So it's kind of a weird thing when we look at that, you know, at the effect of that. Sorry, one thing I I think, too, that adds to that is some of the teams that are supposed to be great weren't in the 80s. The Dodgers and the Yankees weren't that great in the Well, the the Dodgers won two World Series, but they're weird. Like they were the the strike World Series of 81 and then the 88 team, which had no business winning the World Series. Right. So, yeah, you're right. And the Yankees, the Yankees didn't win a single World Series the whole decade. Right. So maybe maybe that was part of how it's looked at a little differently. The dominant teams that we expect to be there weren't always there. Yeah. And the teams that you would think on would be a surefire bet to make the postseason didn't make the playoffs at that time. And if you're going to make any bets, go to Bet Online, which remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. you got a new year and a new updated desktop and mobile website. Sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use a promo code LOCKEDON to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC, right down to your favorite Las Vegas casino game, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet online is where the game starts. Hey, we're here with Andrew Chadwick of Baseball Eighties on uh, on on the Twitterverse. Uh, you and I were talking a little bit before we started recording here. Uh, I have great look at BaseballReference.com is the single greatest website in the history of the planet Earth. I'm on there constantly. Okay, and I love that I can pick up my phone. And I can watch any game I want live. I don't want to go backwards. I don't want to go back to the way things were. I will say this. There was an element of if you wanted the baseball information, you had to dig for it. You had to fight for it. And you and I, I think, are cut from the same cloth 
where we would get these baseball annuals at the beginning of the year, like the Bill Mazeroski or, um, you know, there, what's the other one? There, there was a, uh, yeah, the big one. Green oh, Smith. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, I, I, I don't got it. I'm going to see now. But you would get that and there would be all the information from the previous year. You're always a year behind and all the prospects and all the this and all the that. And you would just plow through them and, and read on Sunday. They would list all the players' right. stats for the, you know, so you can catch up. Oh, I didn't know he's still, you know, because it was hard to follow teams that weren't the local team. And, and I had to learn to do that because we moved from Massachusetts to California. And I had to still follow the Red Sox while living in Palo Alto before the Internet. You know, I could have just, it would have been much easier for me to become a Giants or an A's fan. Right. But yeah. uh, it's, uh, so the, Talk to me a little bit about the ways that you used to follow the team, in, you know, your team being the Cubs in that era before we had the Internet. Yeah. Uh, well, gosh, we are spoiled right now. That's for sure. With with everything at our fingertips and baseball reference and everything else. But uh, yeah, I would. The newspaper was essential right on the Sunday paper. You could go and it might break down your team stats and that kind of thing. And you could, you know, pour over those things, pour over box scores in the newspapers and um, but I love those those annuals that would come out every year. That was exciting because you knew that spring training was right around the corner, and and you could, you know see all the all the roster of your team and what they did last year, and even sometimes in their minor league and the stories that they would have on them. Yeah, that, that, I I still have a stack of those that I've kept over the years, and I and I Me really they're, they're my they're my they're my mom's house. I still have them. Yeah, those those are great to get to look through when you when you get a chance and. Yeah, that's something like when I started this this uh, Twitter site, I was like, this is stuff I'm going to go through and take take you know, a lot of this information I had reposted on there. And, um, you know, the funny thing is about this this Twitter site is I had a lot of different intentions for it when it started. I was going to spend more time and do this and baseball reference this and check out all this information and put that data out there. And, man, it, you know, working and having kids and dogs and everything else, I don't have time for that. So, like I said, I, I found a great bunch of people in the Twitter verse there that I can share information with the other people that follow mine. And, and when I do have a chance to put some things on there, I do, but yeah, it was a labor of love back in the day to follow your team. Cause you had, you didn't have every outlet that we have now. That's for sure. You know, what thing yeah. I think Sully is that we have Netflix. We have all this technology. Why can't we have one for sports? Why can't we have like, you click the baseball button and then you look 1985 and then you pick your team and you can watch game one to one sixty two. How awesome would that be? How does that I not happen it. yet? <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I I go down rabbit holes on YouTube watching. Do what I love watching. I'll, I'll watch when they have all-star games. I never watch the game. I just love watching the introduction of the players yeah. and going down the line. And and it's like, who is the player they would have on that crummy team that one year? <laughs> like, you know, the A's would always have Ricky Henderson. So they always had a legit one in there. But there'd be sometimes like, you know, uh, Andre Thornton got into a lot of, years when the yeah, Indians were pretty lousy. Yeah. You know, Buddy Bell got a lot of all-star selections and some lousy Ranger teams. Uh, but I have one thing, and I hope I don't hit a copyright thing when I do this, but for people our age who were following baseball, and there wasn't baseball tonight on ESPN yet. ESPN was still this obscure channel, and you know, just reading through. But these notes, bum, 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 oh, yeah. bum, this week in baseball was absolutely a staple. Like that was can't miss 
television for me. And I've gone down a bunch of rabbit holes yeah. on YouTube watching old this week's in baseball because that was sometimes the only time you got to see the clips of these other superstars yeah. unless they played your team. And well, you know, I mean, when we moved, we moved to California, we got National League and American League with the, with the A's and the Giants. But when I was in, in Boston, we only got American League teams unless I visited my relatives in in Connecticut where they got the Mets scores as well. So that this week in baseball was critical. Right. Like, And you mentioned the All-Star game. That was like essential like to see. Like, I remember, like, I got to see this Wade Boggs guy. You know, mm-hmm. who's this Wade Boggs guy? You know, so you never get a chance to see the other the other league. You know, so yeah. that's awesome. And and yeah, Mel Allen right before the game of the week, mm-hmm. every every Saturday. That was that was great bum, stuff. Bum, bum, bum. And when I finally figured out how to program the VCR, I don't think I didn't tape this week in baseball and watch that at my leisure. Bum, 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 bum. And then at the end, and they would have the the montage, the slow motion montage of Fred Lynn with the Angels. He should never been an Angel jumping over making that great catch or there's the great shot of Valenzuela throwing his eyeballs up there and everything. Right. I, you what this actually hit me cuz you mentioned I just mentioned Valenzuela earlier you mentioned Eric Davis. There were very few like when you think about the players who were dominant in the 80s, very few of them became big hall of famers. You know, I mean there was a I mean Boggs certainly did. You know, there were a few, there were a few, but Man. it's like like Hershiser dominated, right? And, and or Gooden dominated, or Strawberry, or Eric Davis, or um, you know, you would have Keith Hernandez one year, or you would have uh, you know, I guess Mike Schmidt is a you know was one of the great figures, but you know, like you know, a Steve Garvey becoming a huge playoff star, and like you had a lot of players, Dave Stewart later with the A's, you know, you had a Frankie Viola. I think even just of the 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 players who were the um, you know Don Mattingly with the Yankees, Dale Murphy with the Braves, uh, that these players who were the big stars of that decade, and who won't get a plaque right. in Cooperstown. You know, there was a lot of players who were just going. You know, Dave Steve, who I actually think Dave oh. Steve should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, um, you know, a Lance Parrish. Okay, you you. Trammel's in, Whitaker's out. I'll never understand that. No. Uh, you know, Willie McGee is the MVP one year. Mike Scott's the Cy Young Award winner the next. There's a lot of players who were kind of one-hit wonders baseball-wise in the 80s, which I think um, may have gone a long way for taking away the nostalgic edge for that decade. Right. That, that's a good point. That is an interesting thing. But like like you said, I, I some of these I don't understand. I won't ever, like I said about Dale Murphy, I don't understand how he could not be a hall of famer I, I for me it's dave that. steve dave steve is that one for me dave steve absolutely yeah i don't yeah. i don't i don't get some of those things and i i probably won't um i thought there was just a ton of players that maybe that speaks to parody for the decade and like you said that people don't like that kind of uh parody i mean we we deride someone being dominant our team being dominant but uh maybe we well, need we that Psychologically, want it. yeah. Want it. Okay, last thing. Um, your favorite moment of the 80s not involving the Cubs? Oh, man. That, that, you're putting me on the spot there for sure. I know. Right? I know I am. Um, 
gosh, I, I feel like I'm flooded with, uh, with so many things right now. Um, I, I have an image of, of Kirk Gibson hitting a home run in the 84 World Series. Um, and 88, both of them. <laughs> and, and, and I, yeah, exactly. And I, and I, and I feel like uh, 86 playoffs to me was just you, you, everything. It was mm-hmm. all the series. You know, Donnie Moore, mm-hmm. rest his soul, giving up that home run to um, Hendo. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, wow. I mean, that was just all, it was so classic to me. I don't know. It just, it really impacted me. Yeah. I'm going to probably say, I mean, look at, I, I almost can't include the 86 playoffs just because of everything. I mean, the easy answer is Gibson's home run because it just was so surreal yeah. when that happened. Um, I, I really remember I was a young kid, but I remember I had many, my relatives were from Delaware and they're all big Phillies fans and just watching the playoffs. And especially when they won and Tug McGraw, throwing his mm-hmm. arms up and Mike Schmidt jumping into him. Um, I think that's, that was just really, really great. You know, great, great memories. Um, and uh, yeah, just so many, I mean, so many, I mean, as a Red Sox fan, obviously the Henderson home run, obviously losing the world series to the Mets was horrible, but you know, Roger Clemens's 20 strikeout game um, and the pine tar game oh. with uh, George Brett, just right. so sur- so weird, so surreal. Um, I'm probably going to say the Gibson home run. That was just the first thing against Eckersley, just because that was right out of a movie. It was, yeah. Um, <laughs> and that that whole weird World Series. It was only five games, but it was it was the most significant first ga- first game of a World Series because the the whole mentality was this is such a mismatch. And the only chance the Dodgers could have is if they won a game not started by Hershiser. And the fact that they won that first game the way they won, knowing Hershiser was pitching the next day, you're like, are they going to be up 2-0? And, right. okay, well, then the, then the A's came back. They made it 2-1. Okay, they, okay, you had your fun. But the, the, then the Dodgers stole game four in a weird – everyone forgets game four. Game four was a weird game. And then Hershiser comes out to pitch game five and ends it. I mean, that was as, as surreal a World Series as it was happening in slow motion. Right. But um, I would say the Gibson home run, but I also, the the image of uh, Tug McGraw with his arms up in the air. Right. Yeah. Uh, Ozzie Smith simmering against the Dodgers. Oh, yeah. They yeah. Oh, Back-to-back games, you have the Ozzie Smith home run and the Jack Clark home run, both off of Tom Niedemfuhr. Um <laughs> You know, that was, uh, yeah, so many great, I mean, think of all those great, great memories. I mean, I know Steve Garvey's home run and the ball through uh, Leon Durham's legs right. is not a great memory for you. Right. But, uh, you know, the Tito Landrum home run in the 10th inning against the White Sox. And, right. How improbable. You know, yeah. The the way the, the way the Brewers came back against an Angels team that was basically an all-star team in 82, uh, only to lose the World Series because Raleigh Fingers was injured. Um, then again, the Angels lost 82 and 86, uh, both improbably. And they right. were both managed by Gene Mock, who right. I've said Gene Mock can make any great team good. <laughs> but uh, uh, there you have it. Well, look at, hey, Andrew, I've had so much fun having you on here. Um, uh, tell people where they could follow you. And if you're a fan of the 80s in baseball, 
you've got to follow Andrew's feed because you're going to have so you're going to go down wonderful rabbit holes. I have great memories. And it's, as I said to you, I've been having, wanting to have you on for a little bit now. Um, I just wanted to come on and talk to you about this because yeah. this is my favorite era. So, Andrew, right. tell people where they can find you. Yeah, well, and I, I love to have, like, the more obscure players, too. Everybody sees the strawberries and the goodens on that thing. But, hey, we can find the, the more obscure guys. Marty Castillo. Fun. You had Marty Castillo yeah. on there. That's right. From the Tigers. Yep. You can find it at, uh, at baseball underscore 80s at Twitter. Um, and the biggest one of the biggest thrills I have for that is having ball players follow on there. You know, yeah. uh, Jesse Barfield, uh, Jerry mm-hmm. Royce, people like that. There's a few of them on there. So, uh, Jerry shares. Royce, great, great pitcher for when they won the World Dodgers won the World Series in '81, uh, helped clinch that division. That divisional playoff is what they called it in the strike year when the, the Dodgers beat Houston. All right. Well, hey, for everyone else, thanks so much for making Lockdown MLB your first listen. Have your second lesson be Locked On Bets with your boy Q and expert analysis from Lee Sterling. Talking about baseball in the 1980s, which is something I happen to love with my new friend. I'll say it. All the way in Colorado, Andrew Chadwick. This has been Locked On MLB. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.